Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. Thank you very much for listening and welcome back. Hopefully, if this is not your first time listening in today, then we're taking a little break, but we are back with our new season on doing a lot on a little. Uh, The idea that so many folks are in solo uh, roles or in small teams or are in larger companies and having to do uh, far more with reduced budgets or less headcount than we're used to. Things are quite difficult out there right now, so that's what this season is about, and that's what this season will be about until the end of the year. Uh, So I really hope you enjoy what's to come uh, over the rest of the year. Today's episode is with two of my favorite speakers from the Marketing Meetup ever. Uh, First, we have Kerry Thorpe, who is the Head of Communications for EU, New Zealand and Australia for Ben & Jerry's. And then we have Molly Baker, who is the founder and CEO of Indie Consulting. Kerry and Molly are one of my favorites because they deliver some of the most practical talks that we've ever had at TMM. Not only do they uh, share the thoughts in their head, they often will share the templates they use. And it's for that reason that today's episode, while you will be able to follow through with the podcast, I'd also definitely recommend checking out the visuals via the video, which is on the Marketing Meetup website right now. Uh, because you get access to their templates where you can see how they are planning and the structure in which they are uh, speaking about the various elements of building a great marketing strategy. Today's strategy uh, session is a great way to start the season because a great strategy underpins every bit of marketing. Without one, we're just doing things, but we don't really know why. Uh, So that's what today's episode is about, how to build a great marketing strategy. And it's a big thank you for today's episode to our featured sponsor this week, who are Clavio. Clavio make it easy with over 300 integrations into their platform for uh, folks to use their first party data through a combination of email, SMS, and push notifications to get in touch with your customers, with your prospects, and ultimately uh, gain more traction with the folks who want to buy from you. Definitely take the time to check out Clavio. They've just released a bunch of resources, including a Black Friday guide, which we're uh, promoting via our newsletter presently. So definitely check them out. They've been fantastic supporters of the marketing meetup. With all that said, uh, now that's slightly longer than normal introduction done, uh, I'm going to pass over to Kerry and Molly to speak how to build a marketing strategy. Enjoy. Well, it's wonderful to be here today. Um, Thank you so much, Joe, for having us. Uh, As Joe mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to build a marketing strategy, hopefully in a very practical and realistic way. Um, And with that, uh, I am Molly Baker. As Joe mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Indie Consulting. We're a go-to-market digital marketing agency uh, working across a variety of different types of clients. So I'm really excited to be here today. I am the communications lead for EU and ANZ at Ben & Jerry's. I've been at Ben & Jerry's for, I think, nine years now, working across our product activation, so all the lovely flavors that we have, but also um, bringing to life our activism campaigns um, across our countries and how we impact progressive change. So a bit about how we know each other. Molly used to um, head up the global digital team at Ben & Jerry's, so we worked together when I was in the Ben & Jerry's European office in Datchet, 
and Molly was based in Vermont, looking after our digital work there. Um, we became firm friends and have stayed friends throughout the years when Molly went off to found her own consultancy. Um, we do like to meet whenever we can. Um, we say it's for marathons. We have run a number of marathons together, um, largely as an excuse to kind of catch up with food and drinks afterwards. Um, but we do enjoy to meet up for running. And if not, just a coffee over Zoom or Skype or whenever in the same place to meet up and connect with one another. And I've said this before about Molly, but Molly is that person that would say your name in a room full of opportunities. So I love to connect with her over work and stay firm friends. Amazing. So what we're hoping to cover today, um, we will talk through what a great strategy looks like. Uh, we'll show you how to build one, hopefully in ways that are repeatable steps that you can take into your day to day and then showcase and, and talk through what it means to implement these strategies in the real world. So, you know, a strategy can look great on a PowerPoint slide, but what that actually means for bringing it to life uh, there's always a variety of challenges and opportunities with that. So hoping to um, talk through what those look like as well. So let's start with what a great strategy looks like. And there are a number of different um, formats that you can use from this. But what we've tried to do is break it down into kind of manageable buckets. And if you can kind of pin yourself and get these right, what we hope is that there will be less waste Let's wait in terms of cost, let's wait in terms of staff time and resources, because by getting these big buckets nailed, you will then have the rest of your workflow flow on from there. So the how, what are we really talking about when we talk about impactful strategy? The job to be done. What are we trying to do with this product launch, this revamp, this service we're providing? What really is the job to be done? Are we trying to raise awareness and drive penetration? Are we trying to reinvigorate brand love for the brand? Is this a brand equity campaign? Is this a new product campaign? You'd be surprised how many conversations and difficult conversations need to be had at this stage. So many times I've seen it jump to the tactic stage and everyone says, oh, hang on a minute, can we just remind ourselves what's the objective? So let's make sure that we're spending enough time up front to go through the job to be done and what's informing that job to be done? What's the insight? What's the research that makes us think that this piece of work is worth doing? Because we need to have that guiding star for all the rest of the communication. So what is the job we're trying to do and how will it benefit the business? Needs to be discussed. Then the cons, um, big idea and priority. So once we know why we're trying to say something, it's how we're trying to say it. So what's that? big idea, what's that overarching theme, creative umbrella that will tie everything else together? Underneath this does come quite a lot of work, which should be quite challenging at times. You should have quite difficult conversations when you're stress testing it with your peer. So what is the framework, we like to call it, or the messaging frame, the messaging direction that you're going to take? Because with every launch, you could talk about it in a thousand different ways. What are the ways that you want to focus your communications on? And then what are the comms tasks? And what are some of the challenges and opportunities? And also, what don't you want to say? So sometimes what you do want to say is as important as narrowing what you don't want to say. Then of course, platform and channel strategy. Who do we want to reach and how? So 
really going through an audience segmentation here, working out what your digital landscape assessment is. We don't just want to shout about something into the ether, we want to have a very solid strategy. Then we need to have an omnichannel comms calendar. So you now know what the job to be done is, what you want to say and how you want to say it, the channels that you want to utilize, and then we need to map that out into a more actionable, doable calendar. And then you can start plotting what you want to say and where on this calendar against an investment strategy. So how much money you're gonna put behind all of these communications. But of course, there's no point doing any of this work if you haven't set up measurement and know what success looks like. So that if needed, you can pivot, pause, stop, redefine things along the way, or at the very least, be able to measure at the end of it whether all that work was worthwhile. And we're going to touch on some of these big blocks in our presentation today. Wonderful. So one thing that we also like to keep in mind when we're creating a strategy, really any type of strategy in the marketing world is how do we think audience first and ensure that we're creating a strategy that's focused on humans. Um, you know, while it sounds straightforward, I think sometimes, as Carrie mentioned before, we get lost in the sauce of the tactics and the newest platforms and creative ideas. And we forget that our goal is just to connect with other human beings. So asking ourselves a series of just why, who, and what questions of, you know, why, what is the fundamental need our product or service is solving for? Who will find this most valuable? And what do we want them to do once we are able to take some of their brain space or news feed or um, Instagram story uh, presence? You know, what are we looking for from our our consumers and our end audience? Um, so, keeping these at the forefront of our initial thinking is super helpful just to ensure that we're delivering and providing value back to that end user and person um, and finding the best ways to uh, to provide value to them and hopefully encourage a connection. So how we get to that and do that, and this looks like a lot and it's, it's meant to look like a lot, uh, but we'll chat through it just to give an overview and um, hopefully make it a bit more digestible. This strategy on a page is where we start all of our strategic work. So as Carrie mentioned before, having alignment on the ultimate job to be done uh, and the, the goals from a business and marketing perspective that follow from that are critical for developing a holistic and uh, foolproof strategy. So while this looks, um, you know, not necessarily the most uh, exciting part of the puzzle, we often find this to be critical for driving success and alignment with internal teams, external partners, and really just even a proof point for us to come back to whenever we have questions throughout the strategic process. We can come back to this as our foundation and say, okay, would this decision be aligned back with some of these key points or are, have we sort of strayed from the path? So the example that we have here is from uh, a nonprofit organization called Inspiring Girls that um, we have done some pro bono work with over the years. Uh, you know, their goal, their job to be done is to get girls, youth partners, and role models to break gender stereotypes and provide opportunities for girls to participate in their communities um, and explore different career and educational um, opportunities. So 
as you can see from here, we then picked some primary need states. So again, really rooted back in that human-centered strategy development. Uh, we have alignment from there on what the organizational KPIs are, um, which then connect back to our marketing KPIs and the primary audiences and communications that we will um, connect back to those goals. So just mapping this out and sort of seeing the domino effect of, you know, where we start from our ultimate objective going all the way down the funnel to the pieces that need to come after, again, just gives us that alignment and connectivity so that from here, um, we can cross check ourselves as we start to build out everything from platform priorities to audience, addressable audience segments to the assets that are needed to communicate some of these um, objectives. Wonderful. So now we will jump into how we actually build a strategy. Thank you. So we're gonna discuss two examples here. And one of them is the launch of Ben and & Jerry's and Tony's Chocolonely Chocolate Love Affair um, that we run at Ben & Jerry's. And the other one is for Good Pop, um, which is a frozen dessert, a non-dairy frozen dessert that Molly has worked with. So we're going to run through these two examples so that you can bring what we've been talking about to life. So I wanted to put here, I'm not sure if any of you have seen the Chocolate Love Affair um, partnership we've done with Tony's Chocolonely. And this is um, two ice creams, one dairy and non-dairy and a chocolate bar inspired by one another and kind of coming together in this love of chocolate. And the reason I wanted to talk here about the communication task and job to be done is that a number of different conversations have to happen just to get to this point. You could argue that a chocolate company and an ice cream company could get together and just launch a celebration of all things chocolate and ice cream. And that could be the job to be done. It could be that we excited our fans with a new innovation. And as a result of that, we got people to want to buy more chocolate and ice cream. But for Ben and Jerry's as a mission-led company, that really wasn't the partnership we wanted with Tony. Then Tony are often are obviously really mission-based as well. So we actually decided that we wanted to go further with our cocoa commitment. We've already been on a fair trade journey, um, been fair trade um, since 2002. And then we wanted to add on this um, living income reference price, which we'd already done years ago. And then with Tony's, we could go a step further and join their open chain sourcing principles, which meant that we have a traceable bean, which is a really big thing in the cocoa industry where loads of inequalities exist. So the job to be done here was to get chocolate and ice cream fan, fans worldwide to understand the issues in the chocolate industry, because there are many inequalities in the chocolate industry, um, and consciously choose products made of traceable cocoa. So we're trying to educate them on an issue. And by educating fans, excite them with tasty new flavors. So that order of job to be done was really important because it could have been flipped. You could have said, excite chocolate and ice cream fans with a new flavor and hope that through the new flavor they'd get to know about traceable coca and that flip would have changed all of the assets and the entire communication plan which is why the job to be done is so important and then that job to be done leads on to the communication tasks because it's announced the commitment and the partnership and bear in mind i could have said announce the ice cream flavor but that wasn't what the job to be done was. So the first communication task had to be announce the partnership and commitment. And then underneath that, 
and now it's these celebratory products which are there to delight and excite you as kind of a celebration of this big company commitment and then go deeper in on the education so getting those bit right really will lead on to all of the assets that you produce and here's how it looked in practice so Tony's Chocolaley and Ben and Jerry's coming together for this chocolate love affair. And you'll see here just one of the um, digital ads that says, better together when working to make chocolate 100% slave free. So that play on words there was better together being ice cream and chocolate, but then also that commitment was front and center in the assets. And of course we called out new because who doesn't want to know that what you're picking up is new. But just some of the assets um, platform and channel strategy that we've talked about here on the left are, we needed to make sure that as both Ben and Jerry's and Tony's will communicate these to our consumers, the central idea needed to work across both of our audiences. So we needed to make sure that that look and feel, that look up, that messaging was going to work on both of our um, owned channels. And the goal was to leverage these assets for both brands. So we needed to keep that in mind all of the time so that when we were developing assets, we weren't ending up with assets at the end that were two Ben and Jerry's or two Tony's that would have wasted money to try and redo. Um, platform and channel strategy, key messaging house was so important for this one. Um, there's a lot that you need to be very careful and sensitive of when you're talking about inequities. So we wanted to make sure that we had a really clear messaging house which says things like never refer to cocoa farmers as our cocoa farmers or take ownership over someone um, who's working in your supply chain. Things like that, the nuances of language are so important to really be respectful of people with the experience of the inequity that you're working on. Um, POS golden rules, social, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, TikTok, what was the combination that we'd go through on those? PR, seeding kits, event toolkits, influencer kits, and then outdoor, what were we going to leverage? And then digital. And these are not exactly what we did for the campaign. I'm going to spill all of our secrets, but they're a really good guide on the kinds of things that you might want to consider for a joint campaign. Wonderful. Awesome. So shifting gears a bit and jumping into uh, a couple examples from Good Pop, um, we oftentimes do a comms tree framework when we're developing a strategy and thinking through a communication plan or, uh, you know, the start of a platform strategy. So the goal of this uh, framework here is to really highlight what it is that we're ultimately trying to communicate, how that then can be shifted and, and developed into a campaign platform, um, what challenges we see from communicating this ultimate goal, and then what types of occasions and tasks and opportunities do we have to break through. Um, and then at the bottom half here from audiences down to KPIs, this again just keeps us aligned back with the strategy on a page that we talked through a few minutes ago um, to ensure that we're, you know, always driving back to the ultimate business goal that we have. So Carrie and I have done many of these over the years together. Uh, they're honestly a lot of fun if you, um, you know, created a brainstorm and, and work through it collaboratively. Um, but this really helps us to then act as the baseline for how platforms are going to be prioritized and assets are going to be developed to deliver back on these different um, communication opportunities. 
So once we develop some of the key things that we want to say, we bring it back again to our audiences. I think when thinking through the audience strategy for any type of marketing plan, the initial goal is to create your strategic audience plan, which then can be transitioned into an addressable audience plan. Um, from my perspective, keeping this simple is key, is the key to success. So we always try to break our audience universe into three primary buckets to start. Um, we think about our core group. So who's going to be most likely to uh, purchase this product or be interested in a certain service uh, or be most attracted to our brand if brand equity is the goal? Um, what is our accessible group that might be adjacent category buyers or uh, in a mindset that would suggest that they could be interested? And then what does our aspirational audience look like? And this is usually the most broad and um, far-fetched, but there's a lot of opportunity to prospect within this group, but we need to learn more about them. So once we've defined what this universe looks like, we then can bring it into addressable mode, which gives us the opportunity to think through different data sources that will align back to those strategic audiences and make it possible for us to reach these customers or consumers on a variety of different platforms in which we might be executing upon. So as you can see with this whole process, we're just always trying to take it down to the next level of detail um, and thinking through audiences in this way gives us the opportunity to do just that. So, you know, we again will have learning agendas that help us to to test the how as it's outlined in this visual. Um, but for example, we can take novelty shoppers in our accessible group and um, you know, find interest target groups of those who might be interested in competitor brands or leverage Nielsen purchase data to segment uh, category buyers of novel novelty purchasers in the past 52 weeks um, and then test those data sources against one another to see where we're most able to make that connection. So when we bring this together, we then uh, typically try to find a digitally led comms approach. So, you know, bringing the comms tree, the audience work, uh, and then having that help us to define what our assets look like and how we want to brief those in. We typically will have some sort of launch video, which I know this is a practice that Carrie follows as well to really land that holistic comms message. And this video can be leveraged in a variety of different places, um, your website, social, um, it can live as a source video on YouTube, be sent to publications, etc. And then assets that will inform fans on what's new and sort of um, test out different CTAs and uh, messaging tactics that some might find appealing. Um, so, you know, in this example here, cleaned up classics and really tapping into the nostalgia of ice cream sandwiches and firecrackers, um, fudgesicles, that is, was one of the comms routes that good pop took to be able to try to connect with customers. Um, whereas there were other assets that more focused on the plant-based dairy-free components, um, the ingredients. So we try to take these different paths as outlined in the comms tree framework when we think through our asset development as well. Let's see. Uh, the sound isn't uh, coming through as intended there, Molly. So 
It might oh, be no. best skipping over. Okay, we'll skip it. Sorry, guys. We did try to skip this setup before. Um, wonderful. So now we'll go into implementation uh, in the real world. So, you know, I think whenever we bring a strategy to life and we have this great plan in place, um, there are things that need to be considered when we go into execution mode. Uh, so we'll talk through sort of these five key areas that Carrie and I try to focus on when we help to transition a strategy from the PowerPoint slide and beautiful content calendars into how it's being executed across the variety of platforms and channels in which we're uh, bringing the communications forward to. But sorry again, everyone, I've heard a lot of people in the chat saying they now want ice cream, so you'll have to bear with me I'm running more ice cream in the heat. But one of the key things is consistent comms and creative theme. And I think the reason that this helps so much is that the amount of time that you waste on the tactic points at the end, if you don't land the creative theme, is exponential. Um, so to touch on the Ben and Jerry's and Tony's example again, this was all around better together and the chocolate love affair. So our headline was chocolate love affair. Fair obviously linking to the fairness of the cocoa that we're sourcing and also to um, Ben and Jerry's and Tony's values of fairness. But because you had this chocolate love affair, you could also play on that kind of love between the two brands, love for one another, love for chocolate, love for ice cream, which meant that we had this really consistent theme to play with around fairness and this kind of love relationship that you had between the two of us. Once we had that, we felt like it was a lot easier to see this trickle into other activations. So you'll see there, when you know, you know, and then when you read it back, when you know about ending modern slavery, you know it's time to act. So having that double play on fairness and this love affair. We offer you this tub as a sign of our love and devotion to ending modern slavery. Seriously in love with ending modern slavery. I won't read them all. But that meant that we had consistent taglines all the way through that you could then use through your other channels. So if you were doing an influencer gifting box, for example, which we did, we had we, up, we offer you this gift as a sign of our love and devotion to ending modern slavery. We also had a, an event. You can see the at the bottom right the tickets on sale for that, where we had an event where Ben and Jerry's and Tony came together to um, have a commitment ceremony to one another. So um, it was done in a non-heteronormative way, but we had a celebrant there who led our guests or our congregation into a room where they were educated on the issues of the um, inequalities in the cocoa supply chain. Once they'd had their message given by the celebrant, um, we, they were then there to see the witnessing of these two brands coming together in union of this mission to end modern slavery. They were then taken through to a room where they got to play um, traditional games that you might see at a wedding um, that were linked to modern slavery, so kind of a whack-a-mole that went up, lots of silly things, obviously more ice cream and chocolate that they could um, possibly enjoy. Um, but it was that coming together of these two worlds that wouldn't have been possible to have a tactical brainstorm of had we not had the consistent comms and creative theme established in the beginning. And I think that's something that we have to all push back on as marketeers. If we feel the brief is too loose, and if we feel that agencies are running off in different directions, it's really time to come back together and say, is this clear enough? Do we have that strong creative theme or idea? Because it will waste time and place. And then, of course, what did this look like? This is just a draft calendar that I put in, um, but just to show what the rollout might look like. And again, this isn't real, but 
you might have a phase one launch where you kind of pre-launch something. You might do a teaser on social to say something's coming and drive people excitement. You might reach out to um, media and influencers to say, hey, have I got something to tell you, but it's top secret or do it under embargo. So get that what's happening before launch sorted. And it might be that you don't do any tease. You don't put anyone up front, but let that be a strategic decision. I think otherwise everything's pinned on launch day and you haven't thought about the weeks before. Then you want to have your kind of launch moment coordinated across channel. Make sure that your social lead is speaking to your PR lead, is speaking to your website lead, the amount of coordination that launch day takes. Um, I know me and Molly have been in this place, but it's, it's enormous and it should be. Um, and then once you have this, you can lay over this editorial calendar. You can lay over this things that might be in the cultural domain. So for example, for our launch, it happened to be that we had Valentine's Day, not too long after our launch. And of course, with a product like Chocolate Love Affair, why wouldn't you have activations either in your scoop shop or sampling events over Valentine's Day to celebrate the equality we want to see in love and everything that we've been working on? So think about your, again, bread and butter calendar and then think about what cultural moments you can lay over the top to tap into conversations people are already having, which, as we know, is key for social media. Wonderful. Um, and then another key thing that we always love to think about and make sure that is not forgotten when we bring a strategy into implementation is to ensure that we are having dialogue with our consumers. I think, you know, community management and um, thinking through ways to engage sometimes gets left on the back burner. And this is so important, especially when launching, launching a new message, initiative, or product. Um, as you can see here with both Tony's and Ben and Jerry's, um, as well as Good Pop, uh, we can see just interactions and comments back and engagement. And I think, again, bringing it all back to this human-centered campaign development idea this is the beauty of the world that we live in today. We're able to have these one-on-one -on -one connections and have a voice with our brand in a variety of different ways. So putting the time and energy, even though this often seems like a resource suck, I think it makes a huge difference when um, a new initiative goes live to engage and showcase excitement back with our consumers and customers. So now getting into the... Um, the sexiest of topics, uh, measurement plans and reporting. So this is the stuff that I love. I, as you can tell, I'm already excited just talking about it. Um, I think that this makes or breaks a great strategy, uh, you know, thinking through how success is going to be defined and having alignment on that is so important to um, not only creating an amazing, impactful campaign, but also learning as an internal marketing team. Uh, so as we think through our measurement plans, um, you know, we can think about everything from micro optimizations in-market optimizations and then campaign impact and how that shows up from a reporting perspective, um, who needs to be involved in what and what KPIs we're going to be looking at. So this example here is from Seventh Generation, um, a brand that we've done some work with over the years and really putting a structure together to uh, give measurement and reporting at these different levels has been something that we've seen great success in across a variety of our clients. And there are different layers to this. There are things that should be looked at daily. There are things that can be looked at 
weekly or biweekly. And then there are things that don't really need to be looked at and studied in depth until after a campaign has wrapped. So getting clear about what that looks like um, will help us to hopefully deliver upon a variety of different types of objectives. And then with that, those optimization processes and learning agendas are also key to success. So this example is from King Arthur Baking. Um, this was a learning agenda that we created for their pancake launch. So they had launched a new line of pancake mixes. Uh, I think that learning agendas are an awesome space to collaborate as a team and really get clear about what some of your hypotheses might be or things that you might be interested in discovering about your audiences or content or platforms and really bring us to a place where by the end of a campaign, even if the campaign was an absolute flop, which hopefully it's not, um, we've at least learned a few amazing things that will only make us stronger when we go to market with our next campaign or product or message that we want to communicate. So putting these plans in place up front to lead us into implementation and then act as a guiding post throughout implementation are really helpful um, in just driving overarching success. And then again, just that cadence of what should be looked at weekly versus monthly versus tentpole or campaign wrap, um, setting up the timing so that we're not trying to do everything at once because that's also impossible uh, has been just a great way for us to hopefully be successful but also learn a lot at the same time. So going into a few of our key takeaways and I'll let Carrie start. So avoid a cookie cutter approach. I think we put this on because as we talk through, it should be quite difficult, some of these conversations. You should be stress testing your own thoughts, the thoughts of your peers, and having conversations each time. Whereas if you copied and pasted, I think you'd get to the end and you wouldn't be happy with your results. So avoid a cookie cutter approach. Copy and paste can sometimes be your friend, probably not in strategy development. Um, do give it the thinking time and sometimes the uncomfortable thinking time um, that it deserves. Uh, I'll do one more and then I'll pass to Molly to do two. Um, does it make you smile? I think this is something Molly and I used to ask ourselves all the time at Ben and & Jerry's, and I know Molly still does, is with this human-centered approach, what does it stir in you? Is it something that makes you smile? Is it something that brings some emotion to you? Um, what is it that it does that it kind of motivates you? One of my favorite teachers, Anna Trinko-Rosario, um, says, if your words don't move people, your words don't work. And I think there's something really in that, like, does it move you? And if it doesn't move you working on it, probably won't move anybody else. And then we've talked a lot about testing um, and thinking through different types of creative ideas. I think something our team talks a lot about is the greatest way for us to bring empathy into our marketing executions is by not making assumptions about what people want to hear and see from us. So the more thoughtful we can be about bringing different creative ideas to the table and not getting too precious about you know, one that might reside best with us, but, um, you know, how can we learn again more about what's going to connect best with our end consumer um, is so important. So just not being as open-minded as possible in how we think about our creative ideas and concepts and paths is something that uh, we try to keep top of mind. 
And then how can we learn more about our consumers? I think taking a curiosity first uh, mindset when we develop these strategies is so important and just leads to better work always. So, you know, opening the floor for other people on your teams or partners to um, bring ideas to the table with this question in mind that, again, it's about the person that we're talking to at the end of the day um, really allows us to create more successful campaigns and strategies. Um, so these four things are key things to remember. And when Carrie and I try to keep top of mind and there will always be roadblocks when it comes to implementation and things that pop up along the way. But I think if we're curious and wanting to do something different and learn more about our end users, we'll see our strategies continue to be more successful over time. So with that, I think we can flip to Q&A. Fabulous. Thank you so much. There was uh, so many uh, folks in the in the chat today uh, just speaking to the, the sheer appreciation for um, bringing to life uh, everything you're speaking uh, about with case studies, but also the thing that I really appreciated was the transparency once again uh, for both of you for sharing uh your your frameworks i think it's the type of thing where you're going to get so many folks going back and going slide by slide and sort of recreating uh everything because you know certainly that would be it for me you know sort of seeing those templates uh is so important and like particularly you know as someone who's not the most spreadsheety person having a starting place for these sort of things is is unbelievably uh important so thank you very much it's, it's really really appreciated um Molly, would you mind uh, stop sharing your screen for now yes. and we'll get into uh, Q&A if that's all right. Um, and so the, um, uh, the, the million dollar question, or I don't know, maybe the, the hundred pound question, I don't know, is that I think what we've seen today is like an incredible journey through like almost everything you can do. Like if, if I was the two of you, I'd be like, bloody hell, you know, there is no way this can go wrong because I've planned this superbly. Um, but this being the season of uh, a lot on a little, uh, there are folks in the in the audience who are like, ah, oh, you know, I want to narrow this down because I'm, I'm under time pressure to do faster and less setup time. And so the top question from Alex is, uh, how would you narrow down this framework if you're a marketing team who is only one person and potentially with a limited budget? Are there certain elements which you would prioritize? Is there stuff that you would drop or is it a lighter version or is it stuff that you build as you go how how would you begin to start to do that if your if your team was a little bit smaller or or your budget was a little bit uh less impressive yes well Molly, i'd love to know what you think i think the bits that you'd need to leave in is that front the front side that we talked about about job to be done config ideas that front side isn't there five blocks in it that i talked through that really needs to be talked through because otherwise you won't get to a campaign at the end. Molly and I love a messaging comms framework. And I think that really breaks down the layers of your campaign. So what are you trying to say? And in what messages are you getting at what point to what audiences? That comms framework is a must. And I would definitely predict to using that side. And then Molly's point on measurement, setting up some kind of measurement framework is key because otherwise, You'll learn nothing and you won't know whether what you've done has led you further to your goals or further away from them. So I think those three elements are key. 
Um, but I would probably also add your consistent creative as well. But Molly, what do you think? No, I agree. I mean, I think that starting with that strategy on a page with the job to be done leading, honestly, if you spend an hour or two on that and pick one objective that you really need to drive home, I think that that can be a bulk of the work if and, and something to carry forward with if um, you know the various work streams following this are going to take a lot of time and energy, which they do. Um, so I think starting there and then to Carrie's point, doing that comms tree framework, just so that it's really clear what it is that we're trying to communicate. I think sometimes that becomes undervalued and then there's either a lack of consistency or we're not really hitting the main message or being clear about the main message, um, I think is so important. But those two frameworks can probably be completed in a you know two to three hour brainstorm, even if it's just a solo brainstorm, um, and then can act as a great tool for how to execute uh, these types of strategies moving forward. Love that. I can see Simon already saying uh, the template is being filled in as we speak. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, with the the upfront thing, I, I thought that was so interesting and and so right. Um, you know about understanding what the customers uh, want and understand you know the jobs to be done. I wondered whether either of you had like any sort of really proud moments where you're like, oh, we've unearthed like really special jobs to be done here. Uh, for a campaign or or space a strategy on, and like how you got to that point, because like I think like there'll be a lot of people who sort of buy into this idea of like jobs to be done is so important to understand, um, but the how on like how do I get to that that point and understand you know like uh, what is indeed the job to be done? Have, have you had any experiences rather than sort of saying this is how to do it? Because inevitably there are so many ways to get to jobs to be done. Sometimes they happen by accident, right? I think when Ben and Jerry's first launched our non-dairy ice cream, um, I remember Jerry was over in the UK doing an interview and we'd briefed him, do not mention that the company is working on non-dairy. That's absolutely something you should not say, Jerry, under any circumstances. And then Jerry, in an interview with the Metro, said, well, the company's working on something really cool. We're going to launch <laughs> non-dairy. And honestly, we didn't know the consumer demand we'd have from it and it went absolutely through the roof so many news articles across the world were kind of derived from it and then from that moment we knew that we had an engaged base in a non-dairy ice cream and that we could get that core audience who are really passionate to then turn into loyal fans of non-dairy and kind of spread the word for us because they were spreading the word for us before we even realized so the job to be done kind of came from finding out this really core base of motivated consumers. And then we obviously on our website set up a data capture to say, Jerry let it out of the bag too soon. <laughs> if you want to be the first to know, include your email address here and we'll keep you motivated. But that was a really good learning of, wow, this passionate fan base will do a lot of the sharing and how can we bring them into all of the work that we do. I love that. That's that's such an amazing story. Founders founders are difficult, right? You know, like oh, uh, he's lovely, but <laughs> not unpredictable. I'd say very unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Saskia says, uh, "I'm ashamed to admit that I'm just learning. Jerry is real." So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Molly, do do you have? A, it was a wonderful answer from Kerry, so um, it's fine if you don't. But do you have any uh, additional examples at all? Um, 
I mean, I think Ben and Jerry's is such a, you know, a, a unicorn in a lot of ways because they have such a strong brand archetype and foundation and narrative that the jobs to be done coming off of a brand like Ben and Jerry's can be nuanced to the different subsets of audiences and products that they're developing and, um, you know, social mission activations that they might be uh, going after. I think what has been fun for me to see with through Indie is sometimes a job to be done is for a smaller brand or a brand just getting started is also a definition point of, you know, us just aligning on what are we really trying to do here and what is the ultimate mission and goal of this brand. Um, and that's, I think, really just an awesome process to go through to, I think it, it's easy sometimes to think, oh, we want to try to do all these different things. Uh, so to kind of hone in on what's the most important and what is the the problem that we're trying to solve for, um, you know, really getting singular about that will help us to get at the job to be done and hopefully then just act as a springboard for more niche and nuanced approaches to that moving forward. So I love it. And it can't be overstated how important that is. Um, I think particularly in the UK, we've been so, um, I think the marketing space is in a really good place about speaking about strategy. Like it's happening a lot more uh, than we used to. Um, and and with that sort of comes an awareness about that consistency. But I'm sure, pretty sure that if we're really honest with ourselves, not many of us really have the template uh, that you were speaking about earlier, that consistency. And that consistency is really vital. You, you showed it through the case studies. So um, so thank you. you know, like just sitting down and having that alignment, whether it's based on customer insight or just your intuition is, is going to be uh, supremely useful uh, going forward. And that's what it's all about. Um, thank you. Um, there's a, a next question coming in from uh, the mysterious anonymous. Um, so the mysterious anonymous asks, uh, do you differentiate between a brand and a marketing strategy? And if so, does the brand strategy play a part in developing these strategies? So, I mean, do either of you point to a differentiation? Molly, you're, you're nodding. So yes. I, I'm going yes. to throw it to you. I definitely uh to have a differentiation between the two. I think a brand strategy is meant to define at the highest level who you are, how you show up, um, what types of things you say and don't say, what does your look and feel communicate, and where do you think your primary audiences are going to be so that you can connect with them. Whereas I think a marketing strategy gets into the specifics of what it is you're trying to solve for, um, what you want a customer or consumer to do when they come across your brand, um, and what types of sort of sub-objectives we have underneath this brand strategy to hopefully inspire short-term growth, but also long-term brand equity and longevity as well. So I do think that it's a one-two punch. And if you have a brand, a really solid brand strategy, it makes your marketing strategy is much easier. Uh, but they do need to be thought of separately, in my opinion. Nice. We've got, we got Kerry nodding along here. So is that uh, a general agreement? <laughs> Just a thumbs up. Um, yeah, it's a total agreement, yeah. <laughs> nice. And I wanted to ask how this interacts with business strategy, because, you know, we sort of spoke brand and, and marketing strategies today. but. Um, is it just a fairly simple thing for the two of you where 
quite blatantly you have a business strategy that sits on top of uh, both of these things and you go off and deliver a marketing strategy or a brand strategy to deliver the business strategy or how do you interact with those things um, when it when it comes to planning your own activity yeah I think we need to make sure that any activity we're doing is laddering up to a business objective because mm-hmm. obviously that's going to be how you grow the business but I think it's not to say that it doesn't get lost in translation you can have these perfect plans on the page yeah. but the directive from one team can get lost in translation to the end yeah. so many a times I'll be in meetings where I think it's a product campaign that's trying to um, put forward a product or a service and get people to engage with it. But actually, it turns out that people think this is a brand equity campaign. And making sure that you're just double checking in every meeting you're in sounds ridiculous, but probably is helpful. I've seen it get lost in translation many a time. And of course, in our social mission work, we never lead with an objective of trying to lead with our brand equity. There, the objective, and it doesn't lead to a business growth objective either, there the objective is completely different, and it, what impact are we trying to create in the world, and that becomes the complete guiding force there. Um, so I don't think that um, I don't think that it can never get confused, unfortunately. Nice. I, I, I really appreciate that. So I was curious, like, with all the stuff that you share today, it's bloody incredible. How, do you, how much of that do you share? like internally with other teams because like it feels like there's a bunch of work that goes into bringing the campaign into life and stuff like that do you just share the one page strategy that you you uh, showed at the beginning or or do you take people through the journey of like this is exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it um just so people sort of buy in and, and i let molly answer this one for ben and jerry it's probably easier we all we sit in the same office molly has remote workers all across the states um yeah, Molly, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, we take we take everyone through it. And when we're working with our clients, as many internal stakeholders who, you know, we'll start an engagement by doing stakeholder interviews. And we ask for, you know, someone from operations, someone from supply chain. We try to get a, ver- a variety of different uh, points of view. And then when we come back with a deliverable after collaboration with their marketing stakeholder, we then invite everyone to come back to review what it is that we've pulled together. I think, Joe, to your point before, the marketing strategy in an ideal world is so intertwined with the business strategy that by having the different perspectives and bringing everyone along the journey with you, it will hopefully be stronger at the end of the day and um, you know, a better representation of what the business and brand is trying to do. I love that. And even the way you used your language there and sort of said, you know, we went out and then we pulled it together. It almost sounds like it just feels like such more of a collaborative process rather than sort of saying like, uh, we listened to you and then we went and did our work, you know, which Mm -hmm. is a very different way of approaching it. But I feel like that subtle language is is so uh, important. Um, So thank you for uh, verbalizing it so wonderfully. That's that's really properly, properly good. we're coming to the last few minutes, but there's still uh, 21 open questions. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start taking some more uh, binary questions uh, that are easy, easier to answer, hopefully. Um, so we've got the anonymous attendee uh, returning saying, uh, what tools do you use to plan and schedule the tactics? So the smaller daily activities, uh, do you use monday.com, Google Sheets or some other great tool? Um, folks always appreciate a tool recommendation. So. 
<laughs> we use, we end up getting exposure to so many different tools because we typically will use tools that our clients already have. Um, we do a lot in Google Sheets still. We do a lot of work in Airtable. Uh, from a calendaring perspective, um, we've worked in Smartsheets uh, and then, you know, project management tools such as Asana, Trello sometimes, which is always an interesting experience. Um, so, I mean, I would say Airtable has been, uh, uh, we've really enjoyed working in that tool for um, more of the tactical planning pieces, but I am a sucker for a Google Sheet still at the end of the day. There's something simplistic about you know, being able to map out in a, a an Excel type format. <laughs> I saw in the templates, it looked amazing. Yeah. <laughs> there is, you know, there's something, sometimes the tools just make things even more complicated than they already are. So, you know, there's something to be said for keeping it simple. 100%. Uh, Kerry, do you, do you have any? We're the same at Ren and Jerry, just yeah. Google Sheets, Excel, we don't probably tap into, maybe we should, we don't use many tools outside of that. Um, I think we want to leave the energy for the creative conversations. If the tools help, great, but I don't think we adopt a tool because it's popular. Yeah, that's no, fun. Absolutely. Keep it simple. As Saskia says in the, in the chat, I think I'm pulling, I'm pulling on Saskia's uh, chat messages today because she's <laughs> so wise. Um, okay. Another fairly, uh, binary question that just has a, an easy answer I think um, on the strategy uh, template page um, someone asks what's the BMI and TMI stem for um, I think there's a couple of acronyms uh, yes. in there so yes we should have spelled them out BMI stands for brand media investment and TMI spent stands for trade media investment so in the instances where we're working with retailers we might have trade marketing or media dollars um and then brand would just be you know normal brand media investment so we typically try to do even a rough percentage split at that upfront just to showcase the weight of one objective over the other um you know that will usually further get refined based off of addressable audience sizes and um platform selection but at least that gives us some contextualization of where we should be focusing our time Nice. That's perfect. Thank you very much. And while while you're there, there was also a term towards the end uh, when you were speaking about the metrics, which was uh, tentpole metrics. Uh, and a couple of the folks were asking in the chat uh, what that meant. So uh, would yes. you be able to yeah, speak happy to that as well? too. <laughs> Yeah. So depending upon your the complexity of a campaign, as Carrie took us through the Tony's example is a great one. She had different phases or tentpoles of that campaign. So, you know, a pre-launch, a launch, and then a sustain phase, for example. Mm -hmm. We might do deep dive reporting at the end of each of those tentpoles so that we're not just waiting until the very end to say, okay, and this is what we saw, um, but rather doing check-ins. But that doesn't always happen depending upon just the complexity of what we're executing. There's like a big campaign spike, so a big campaign moment. Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Uh, okay, I get the imagery. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <all>. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you. That's really, really helpful. Um, I There's quite a lot of questions which are sort of like semi-covered already. So I'm, I'm working my way down the list. Um, and inevitably what happens in a lot of these conversations is folks uh, will ask about the B2C, B2B split. Um, and so... 
Helen asks, um, is there anything you change for a B2B strategy based on everything you've presented today? Yes. Um, I will say the frameworks remain the same. I think the biggest differentiator that we see when we work with B2B clients are the platform the platform prioritization conversation changes. Um, and we, because we're typically marketing to a different type of audience, we will have more, I don't know, specific tactics to respond and engage with them. Um, but the process of, of what we showcased in terms of the strategy on a page and the comms tree framework, those things hold true. And then we start to see shifts uh, on some of the more tactical elements as we kind of go down that ladder. Yeah, bang on. Um, thank you. That's that's the perfect answer. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I would have been very worried if the answer was something else really, <laughs> mainly for my <laughs> career more than anything. So thank you uh, for, for uh, making me feel uh, vindicated uh, in a way. Um, honestly, it's been a wonderful hour uh, spent. Thank you once again for just being so transparent and open. Um, once again, like I feel like there are going to be so many templates filled up uh, in, in, in Excel right now with folks uh, with their one pages. So thank you both for taking the time and being so uh, transparent and open with everything you do. Um, the comment section is going bananas for you both uh, right now. So um, that's well-deserved, really well-deserved. Um, Today was the first session back. Uh, we're back again next Tuesday. So hopefully see as many of you as possible uh, for next Tuesday. Uh, the recording will be available uh, very, very soon. So I'll send that through afterwards. If you could say a big thank you to Molly and Kerry on LinkedIn, that would be amazing. Um, and also uh, share your biggest takeaway from today's session. And finally, uh, if you would like that Black Friday guide uh, from Clavio, then do take the time to check that out. So uh, thank you both. Thank you all for being flipping amazing and uh, hopefully see you next week. Uh, have a lovely time in the sunshine, everyone. Take care. Thank you.